code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from Journal.com. And I'm Heather Artis from BlackPearlMinute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 37 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. We've been beating to quarters all week on our Pirates of the Caribbean Minute listener contest. It's incredibly simple to enter for your chance to win a four-pack Blu-ray movie collection with Pirates of the Caribbean films one through four, a not-quite-to-scale replica Aztec medallion, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute t-shirt, and a set of Pirates of the Caribbean pop vinyl figures. We also have a second-place prize that includes a t-shirt and medallion, and a third-place prize that includes a... Pirates of the Caribbean Minute shirt. We always welcome reviews if you like the show, but the deadline for this contest is Sunday, March 12th, and then we'll probably pick a winner somewhere around March 15th or 16th. It's a random drawing for those who have submitted a review, and we'll also include those who have already had reviews, but we want to make sure that between the deadline and the time we choose that there's actually time for iTunes to moderate those things and post them, otherwise we won't see them. So we wanted to give enough time to make sure everybody's entry is taken into account. So do us a favor and enter by leaving a review for the show on iTunes. Your review helps people find and listen to the show, and we'd greatly appreciate it, matey. In the previous minute, Will Turner tangled with the pirate grapple whose hold around Will's neck was short-lived thanks to a cannonball blast and suspended shop signage that managed to send this cutthroat through the window. Death by advertising. And speaking of cannonballs, the Black Pearl fired one at the fort, which opened a hole in the jail cell, allowing all the prisoners but Captain Jack Sparrow to escape into the night. Minute 37 begins with Jack picking up the bone and trying to entice the prison key-carrying dog by waving it and whistling. Come on, doggy, it's just you and me now. The minute ends with Twig the pirate telling Captain Jack Sparrow that the last time I saw you, you were all alone on a godforsaken island, shrieking into the distance. His fortunes aren't improved much. To which Jack replies, worry, dot, dot, dot. Yay! Dot, dot, dot's back! (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna, you know, I wasn't sure where to get started with this. I got a place. I, geez, she always just jumps in. Okay, does yours have some, is it something behind the scenes or are you just diving into the minute? diving in. Well, then let me go first then. Okay. So we can do some of this stuff. So I thought I would give a shout out to Victor Schutz. He's the lighting technical director and he's responsible for ensuring there's a consistency in lighting, color balance, and mood between the various elements of a shot and a scene. And he's also in charge of making sure the computer generated imagery looks photorealistic to match the live action, adding the lighting that creates atmosphere, realism, tone, and depth to a scene. It's the latter of these that particularly caught my attention this week with a couple of notable scenes, just some great use of lighting and setting tones that I saw. I'm pulling a Heather and rehashing here things for a second, but Elizabeth in the closet with the light shining through space in the doors, and it's highlighting her eye and maybe part of a sliver of her face. It gives us that eerie, nervous feeling, and we immediately connect with Elizabeth that she is hiding and trying to see what's happening without being seen, so we can all understand what's going on there. We really do get the idea she's in this completely dark closet, but the lighting coming from the space between these double doors is bringing everything to life here. And I think we know what's coming. It's that space, this large space, it's just right for an eye to look through and give us that mile jump, which is exactly (laughs) what we saw. 
in that particular minute when yeah. he says, hello, Poppet, and you can hello, see him Poppet. through that. Hello. I don't think he really says hello. hello. I said hello, Poppet. Okay, there you go. So yeah, so the lighting I think is really cool there in the way that they did the cinematography and the lighting to accentuate that and to show that. Yeah. And the second instance I'll just mention from this particular week is our minute here, which is why I wanted to bring all this up in the first place. And that's the moonlight coming through the jail window and then shining on Jack's arm and really that cell that we see while he's holding the bone. The moon rays are spectacular and it kind of paints this surreal scene that almost looks like a dream. Uh Uh-huh. The prisoner, Jack, is holding a bone in an 18th century fort jail while everything else is kind of this rather drab or kind of, you know, rock work. And so I think it really does do a good job of creating this interesting scene that's set just with the light that the rays of the moonlight that come through and highlight that. So I really did just love that whole shot. And I'm not really sure why, but it does remind me of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride as well. And it's like the way that the light hits here gives me that vignette feeling like we're sailing on that boat from scene to scene Mm. so i think that's maybe why i really it really resonated with me and why i liked it yeah and as i'm saying it was a shout out to victor and he had actually three award nominations from the visual effects society for his work on watchmen mission impossible ghost protocol and pacific rim and that was work for spanning virtual cinematography to outstanding models to animated characters in live action films And his most recent endeavor was Rogue One, a Star Wars story where he served as a computer graphics supervisor for Industrial Light and Magic. Huh, very cool. Yeah, so I thought that there was some really cool lighting. If you just kind of take a look at the way that they're playing with the lighting effects, I think it really helps make the scene. And like I said, it does something that really reminds me of the ride in that particular scene. And I don't know... If it's part with the lighting, because when you're sailing through, everything is dark, and then you get these kind of lit up vignettes, as I said. Yeah. And this really is a callback to with the prison dog. Yeah. And the scene there. So there's a whole bunch of things going on, but I really do like the way that they lit that up. Now we can move on to where you wanted to go. Was it Captain Jack Sparrow, maybe? Scott, or AKA Scurvy Dog. <laughs> Not Scurvy Dog. <laughs> said last week. Rude. <laughs> So, Scurvy Dog said last week that Jack had a relationship with this dog. I think you could actually see it in this minute a little. You know, he kind of refers to himself as Old Jack. And the dog is actually coming towards him, whereas the other undesirables... (laughs) Yeah, the undesirables. The The seedy-looking prisoners. The dog was not moving. That's right. It was sitting in one spot. But this dog actually came... It looked like it was under a table or something... It yeah, actually... I think it was hiding because of the cannonballs and the oh, explosions. Oh, probably, yes. He was scared, so he was hiding yeah. under the bench. So he was hiding, and he came out from hiding, which showed some trust, uh-huh. actually, with a dog. So he came out from hiding and came towards Jack. That's right. And came almost close enough to Jack for him to reach the keys. Well, we know from the Pirates of the Caribbean universe, in the expanded universe, I should say, in the teen years, and so the novels, is that the dog was owned by Jack's father, if you hadn't heard the other shows. So we know that Edward Teague owned the dog, and it was a prison dog that held the keys, and Jack would feed it every day. That yeah. was one of his jobs. So the dog seeing Jack with the bone, it's kind of bringing back and Pavlov's dog thing. They yeah. know where their food comes from. He's thinking, hey, this is where... My food comes from, I'm going to go take a gander and see if he's really offering me something. But the dog really does have a penchant for... It's like the butler. He's going to open the door no matter what. The dog will hold the keys to the cell and not give it up no matter what. Yeah. I don't even think if his <laughs> owner was in the cell, he'd bring the keys yeah. to him. He got pretty close to Jack. And Jack did refer to himself as it's old Jack. 
Like, a dog would know him in that way. So, I kind of felt after hearing that he did take care of this in his teen years, and this dog in his teen uh-huh. years, and you kind of get that feeling he had to have known Jack because otherwise he wouldn't have got close to him, got out of hiding, because he didn't move with the other... Yeah, he didn't even budge. No, not at all. It's really just like the ride. He just doesn't budge, no matter yeah, how many times. <laughs> yeah. What I thought was interesting with that... That whole kind of scene with Jack trying to entice the dog is that Jack is now trying to give escaping a shot. Because before, he told the other prisoners, the dog is not going to move, your efforts are futile. Yeah. Or resistance is futile. Is that what it is? <laughs> I think that's a different movie. Oh, that's movie. a different movie. <laughs> he knows the dog, so he thinks, maybe I can try and get the dog to come, even yeah. though he said that it's not going to move. And those prisoners did actually say, well, they haven't given up or resided themselves to the gallows yet, too, in that previous minute. So... I wonder if that message is also sunk into Jack. Like, hey, I don't want to go to the gallows. Does that mean that the gallows are really more pleasant than what's in store for Jack? This whole pirate siege going on with the Black Pearl? Or does does he just want to get to the Pearl? Or is he just uh. being logical and realizes during all this chaos it's a good time to escape? I mean, really, what, what well, makes him decide that this... Now I'm going to give escaping a shot when before he was kicking back and not even worrying about it. He probably figures that most of the pirates are on shore and that he may have a chance at taking the pearl. That's possible, but why would he want to... Yeah, he he is looking looking for for a ship ship to get out of there. That's right. Yeah. Or maybe it's a chance to take another boat or ship. Maybe that's why he would want to get out now because what we have learned in just looking through history, and I'm not going to really go into history right now. Right now, later on in the show. I don't know. I can't remember. I don't remember if I have notes on it or not. Maybe I'll keep it a surprise. So you'll be happy if I don't, and then you'll be maybe a little sad or happy if you do, depending on if you like the history or not. But anyways, you know, as a pirate himself, he should realize that typical pirate behavior when pirates were attacking a town is that they would release all the prisoners. So why not wait for someone to come get them? Unless he really is, like you said, he's looking for a ship out of there. This is his time in all the chaos to steal, not if it's the Pearl, if it's the Interceptor, or any of these other ships that he could potentially just take off in. Yeah. So there is some motivation for him to try and get out, and he could easily slip away during this whole oh, thing. Yeah. Nobody would say anything. No. And the fact that he, he may look like a pirate, but he doesn't look like these pirates. No, not at all. At least he, I mean, we've seen that he has some dirt under his nails, and he is a little dirty, but... He's not filthy, filthy scurvy dog, if you want to talk about that, <laughs> like these guys. More blends in with the townsfolk yes. than he does with these pirates that are attacking Yeah. Him. So then we have two pirates that presumably kill a soldier as they enter what they believe is the armory. Firstly, what's with the guard? You know, seriously. <laughs> he, he's obviously been up there the whole freaking time. Yeah. He's been standing at the door. Cannons are bursting in air. <laughs> and he's standing at the door. <laughs> yeah, I know. He had to have physically been shaken by the blast that hits the jail. Right. The wall right there. Just open the damn door. <laughs> Check on the prisoners. Is but there he, a giant gaping hole? He just wants to make sure they don't go out the front door. That's true. His his thing is, <laughs> well, you know, I didn't let him come out this way. Yeah. They, they went out through the cannon hole. So he's really not even invested in his job. No. Because otherwise you'd at least peek in and say, oh my God. Bloody hell! They're gone! <laughs> no, he didn't do that. He waits for pirates to come, and then he gets taken down immediately. Yeah. Then I thought, well, you know, I really need a, a little piece of cue music to when I have one of my crazy theories that I could play that you guys know it's coming. So maybe I'll think about that in the future. But I thought, wait, we're on an island. Yeah, it's a fairly large island, Jamaica. 
I don't know what the population was in the 18th century or, you know, how many available men and women there were. Got to be quite a few, but how many Norringtons are on this damn island? Is this guard a cousin of Norrington? And he <laughs> lacks the observation skills. So Norrington, now let's break this down. We have Norrington who can't see the stress in a woman. He has no observation skills when it comes to a woman. We have Norrington's relative, the butler, who has no understanding of pirate attack and he's got to open the door. So he's no power of observations when it comes to an attack by pirates. Now we have the guard here who's obviously somehow related to the Norringtons <laughs> that he can't hear or observe explosions that are hitting the, the jail cell there or the jail wall, open it up. And so he just stands there. Now let's give this, this guard a little bit of... Leeway? Yeah. Because he was probably told to stand there no matter what. Because I don't want Jack to disappear. Well, sometimes you gotta just break the rules because it's common sense. You know, maybe there's something... If a cannonball shot the entire wall down and he could actually look over and see the ocean there, would he still stand by that door that's standing there? (laughs) Even though you could walk around it because he's like, no, nobody's supposed to open this door. Even though there's... (laughs) You could go 360 degrees everywhere else is there, but he doesn't want that. Is that what you're telling me? Maybe. This guy needs to take some initiative here. He's never gonna <laughs> he's never gonna progress up the chain if he doesn't start to do that. I tried, dude. Anyways, <laughs> two pirates come down the stairs and their names are Twig and Keeler. Keeler. I think it's Keeler, actually. I'll go with I got Keeler. Twig. I didn't get the other guy's Twig name. Twig and Keeler. Keeler is our Jamaican pirate here with the dreadlocks and the typical look, and he's portrayed by Treva Itene. Boy, I probably slaughtered the hell out of that. <laughs> Couldn't it just be Smith for my sake? But no, Itene, maybe. In addition to Pirates of the Caribbean, Treva has been in quite a few movies and TV shows, including Black Hawk Down, which is some Jerry Bruckheimer and Orlando Bloom reference and connection for us here. So I thought that was applicable. Then the not-so-applicable stuff, he's been in Terminator Salvation, an episode of 24, and more recently in Falling Skies. And much like we saw with Jacoby... In the first screenplay draft of The Curse of the Black Pearl, before Governor Weatherby Swan goes to barricade himself in Commodore Norrington's office for protection, he found himself face-to-face with Keeler, who was described as a handsome blonde man with gold earrings. Also, Keeler's first line of dialogue was delivered in a Dutch accent, implying the possibility that the character was originally intended to be Dutch. Huh. I don't think it would have worked. I think this guy really pulls off an incredible role here. He looks like a pirate. Yes. I mean, I don't know where they would have gone with the Dutch guy, but I think he he, he brings a, a cool look to the to the craziness of the pirates here. Yeah, I agree. And I think that there's some really good, interesting things that happen later on when we reveal what happens to them in Moonlight. Because some of these characteristics that define people or make them look different from each other or distinguish them from other pirates... Which is why we have a lot of interesting diversity with all these pirates. You know, they all have a really specific and different look. That that can manifest itself potentially somehow when Moonlight comes out. Then we can so we can really recognize them. So it's nice that there is that distinction. Then we have our good fellow Twig here, and he's portrayed by Michael Barry Jr. And Pirates of the Caribbean was his first screen credit, and he's gone on to a handful of other movies. Notable ones include The Kidnapper and Mission Impossible Three, and a Romulan tactical officer in the 2009 Star Trek reboot. Oh, wow. (laughs) Who doesn't like Star Trek? (laughs) In the junior novelization, though, for The Curse of the Black Pearl, Twig was the pirate Jack Sparrow took a sword from and threw to Will Turner rather than Monk. So 
a couple of other things. That's just something that's in the, actually the way that they change things up a bit when they do the novels for kids. And that's not the expanded universe when I say the novelization of the movie. So they actually make a book out of the, what's in the movie. So they made oh, a, okay. a kid's version of that. Huh. And I think that this minute here is is fairly important to the plot in terms of establishing a timeline, I think, for the movie with this scene. It's a great way to avoid exposition. It's that you know obvious explanation that happens in television and movies. It's like when we watch like a crime drama or something and they have a piece of lab equipment. It's like, we're going to run a gel electrophoresis on this. And then they go, because we want to break down. And so then you know how they tell you exactly <laughs> yeah. what's going to happen yeah. with that. And you're like, dude, you're talking to other scientists in the lab. They know what it does. You just say we're going to run the gel. You don't give the whole explanation, but they do that for the viewer. So in here, they get away from that exposition and just relaying information that's maybe critical to the plot, but they do it in a way that's a little bit trickier because they have Twig kind of, aha, the last time I saw you, you were shrinking an island. Based, not that he was shrinking like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or being left behind. A godforsaken island, by the way. That's right. So the idea is it's this subtle attempt to tell us that the crew of the Black Pearl know Jack Sparrow, and plus we see that... They actually came in and said that they know him. So I guess that part's not necessarily so subtle. But the subtle part is that they obviously, or he was obviously marooned on an island. A godforsaken island, like God I said. Godforsaken island. And then Twig watched him disappear as they sailed away. So Laughing we don't all the way. Ha 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 ha. It's not a Christmas episode. <laughs> I mean, we don't have all the details on the reason for Jack's punishment, but we do know that marooning people was a typical pirate punishment. It was something that they did. Oh, and yep, here comes the history. And it's real brief. I'm, I swear, I'll keep it brief this time. But when we were talking about Bartholomew Roberts' pirate articles or code, I intentionally left some off knowing that this might I might need these to come in handy to help explain something or to show that marooning was actually something that they did. So there were a couple of items on his articles that actually specifically mentioned people getting marooned if they did something. Every man to be called fairly in turn by list on board of prizes because they were on these occasions allowed a shift of clothes. But if they defrauded the company to the value of a dollar in plate, jewels, or money, marooning was their punishment. If the robbery was only betwixt one another, they contended themselves with slitting the ears and nose of him that was guilty. And set him ashore, not in an uninhabited place, but somewhere where the, he was sure to encounter some hardships. Huh. So wow. you steal from the pirate crew, the you know, the whole prize. Yeah. Then they're marooning you on an uninhabited island and you have hell to pay. You just steal from another pirate. Eh, we kind of do stealing ourselves, so it's not quite as bad. So we'll slit you a little bit and then we'll drop you off on a place that maybe has some cannibal type <laughs> natives. Then go for that. And then the other one is if you were to desert the ship or quarters in battle, you were punished with death or marooning. So that was something that Bartholomew Roberts set in his articles that, hey, you do these and we are going to leave you behind. So I wonder why Jack was left behind. Yeah, it's a good call. So it seems like Jack had, yeah, he's had a really rough go of things lately, starting with his Jolly Mon sinking, not being able to get out of the jail. I mean, yeah, I'm really starting to wonder, does he have a manner of good luck? I don't yeah. think he does. Now we find out that he was on a godforsaken island. Yeah, and he was left there, which maybe comes back to some of the things about, and then they made me their chief. So there's all these little oh. references. So is that going to play into it or not? Or is it playing into future movies, which I think we did talk about a little bit as well, because that does come up. And then the other big tell that we know that they knew each other, just besides 
seeing him go is Keeler spits after he says, look who we have here, Captain Sparrow or Captain Jack Sparrow. He actually says Captain Jack Sparrow is spit. <laughs> Boy, if that doesn't tell you that you hate somebody, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe he was the one that he wronged because, man, he does not like him. We didn't I mean, talk about I spit every time I say your name. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely some disgust for Jack here and obviously for me. And so I'm wondering if I'm going to get marooned somewhere like Jack. I'm going to wake up one night and find that I'm marooned on an island. I'm like, how did I get here? <laughs> I have to hire people for help to help me. No kidding. Jeez. Well, I'm going to be... I'm going to have to sleep in a locked room from now on. <laughs> Man. But but maybe this comes back to what we were talking with before Jack wants to get the hell out of there the previous minute yesterday. Why is he wanting to get out now so much as he opposed he didn't before the attack started? So maybe this has something to do with why he wants to get the hell out of the jail and before the Black Pearl crew find him. Maybe right. there's, obviously there's some bad blood between them. Yeah. Captain Bad Blood. yeah i did have some additional history but it's pretty cool history actually of course you have more history i don't know did you want to get into it yeah sure why not you have anything what else i just have have a little tidbits that i go for it it's just on the ride actually so it's not it's not really part of this minute it's just kind of a little bit on the ride i know we were talking last week i think it was about port royal and tortuga and you called spoiler on me when i was saying tortuga was a bit more pirate friendly than port royal yeah and how i was saying well port royal was cracking down on pirates compared to a more lax say pirate friendly tortuga which i wasn't really referencing the movies but history and so i know we can bring up tortuga when we arrive there or if we arrive there but I did find more information on Port Royal that I thought could back up my my argument about that. And so during the golden age of piracy in the late 17th and 18th centuries, Port Royal stood as one of the most popular ports of calls for thieves, prostitutes, pirates, and every stripe you can imagine. You'd fit right in there, actually, Heather. Oh, thank you. The Small Harbors Association with Marauding began in the mid-1600s when Jamaica's governors offered it up as a safe haven for pirates in exchange for protection from the Spanish. The buccaneers accepted the deal, and the town soon became a major staging ground for British and French privateers. Ship captains commissioned by the crown to disrupt Spanish shipping in the Caribbean and the Atlantic. This is a lot of stuff that you see if you watch Black Sails that's happening with Port Royal here. And one of the most famous of these state-sanctioned pirates was Henry Morgan, who we talked about as well, that he became a governor of that area too. A Welsh captain who used Port Royal as his base of operations for raids on the Spanish strongholds at Portobello, Cartagena, and Panama City. But Port Royal prospered on the back of this pirate economy, and by the 1660s, its streets were lined with taverns and brothels eager to cater to the whims of young buccaneers flush with Spanish loot. Contemporary accounts describe a seamy harbor overrun with gambling, prostitution, and drink where hard-living mariners often squandered thousands of Spanish reals in a single night. Wow. Yeah, that's why they just love to have the pirates there. It was such a boon to the economy. Huh. Even after the age of privateering had ended, the so-called wickedest city on earth. And you thought Reno had like, what, the biggest little city (laughs) in the world had an interesting name? But imagine being in the wickedest city on earth. It continued to serve as a retreat for a new brand of lawless freelance pirates. But as we were saying, and how it comes into being where Port Royal that we see is actually cracking down on pirates is that these raiders began indiscriminately plundering shipping traffic in the Caribbean, 
Port Royal's colonial authorities were finally stirred into action. So by 1720, the town had begun to clean up its act and its gallows point became a notorious site for pirate hangings. So that's why we see them ready to hang pirates. We see them gibbeting pirates. Port Royal has kind of made this shift to, yeah, we love pirates too. Oh, the crown is like, you guys are just plundering everything here you know you got we got to do something finally yeah. that was probably after everybody got wealthy enough they're like uh yeah we should probably do something <laughs> bring me my silver platter with food you know so the one of those things <laughs> among countless others buccaneers like the ruthless charles vane which we see in black sails right oh charles yeah, vane, yeah yeah I think it's Charles Vane. It, it's Vane? It's, it's Vane, Vane. But I don't know I don't, if it's Charles now. Yeah. We just recently started watching it, so I don't yeah. remember his name. And the flamboyant Calico Jack Rackham would eventually meet their end in Port Royal. Oh, wow. That's all I have for history. I hope you enjoyed it. And I did. Thank you. class will be in session on Monday. <laughs> Monday. No. <laughs> so, so, did you want to talk about the ride? I did. Um, okay. Since we're in Port Royal, and it's on fire now because of all the cannonballs. Yeah, that's right. And so I wanted to kind of bring up the ride again. So for one thing, we've been mentioning the animals. Of course, the animal part. When the ride opened, there were 64 pirates with their assorted enemies and victims. And there were 55 animals. I mean, you can't get better than a ride that has victims. (laughs) Yeah. Especially a Disney ride. A Disney ride that had victims. I mean, I don't know if those words have ever been uttered before. For (laughs) Oh, let's go to the ride. Oh, are we going to see victims? (laughs) That's just insane. Anyways, go for it. And so they had 55 animals, cats, dogs, pigs, parrots, chickens, and donkeys. Yeah, so that's what we're seeing in the movie here, actually. So they're using those same animals and bringing them back. So all of the animals are basically small Easter eggs to the ride, which is pretty cool. Exactly. The only one that's not there is a goat. That's not on the ride? There's no goat in the ride? There's no goat. Oh, that's weird. It doesn't say a goat, at least. Well, you got to have a goat in the ride. (laughs) We're gonna, you know what we should do is we should either start an online petition to get a goat in the ride, or we should actually just take one and then put it there. Heather so will have to escape. I envision a goat in the yeah, ride, I do though. Too. I maybe do too. It, maybe it changed because this is when they were opened. I see. So maybe or when it's they first opened. Okay, it. yeah. So the historical part of it. Yeah. So maybe it's changed. Also, the original ride featured a scene where several pirates chased after a giggling local ladies and one heavyset lady. That's right. I remember that. And then it was actually changed several times to keep up with what modern guests felt was appropriate for a Disney park ride. Yeah, that can make sense. Yeah. We can get into this at some point, and I I don't know if we want to do that just yet, because probably end up having a long episode, or maybe longer than what we normally do, but... It's that whole idea of, are the changes for the ride good? This might be something that we can actually bring up during maybe the credits, when we finally hit the credits, about talking about some of this, or or when there's other additional ride information. You know, are the changes good? Do we like to preserve what it was? Yeah. Versus making some of those changes. Did it it really have a big effect? And so there's purists out there who want to see it stay as it was, and then there's others who want to see it change and keep up with the times. And now they've even changed things to include characters from the movies, yeah. which is additional changes. Right. So anyway, sorry for that interruption. That's okay. For it. So they changed it to, at one point, they had the heavyset lady actually with a rolling pin in her hand chasing after the pirate uh-huh. to chase the pirate off. And then later they changed it. They were all had food items and the pirates were actually wanted the food items rather than... You know, is the that food with finger quotes? Of, yeah. <laughs> Rather than the ladies, they wanted the goodies they were carrying. 
That's not what we're seeing in our Pirates of the Caribbean movie. <laughs> and the actually the give me your damn pie. <laughs> the giggling in the original ride, you uh-huh. know, in the very when it very first came out, the giggling was actually pulled from the soundtrack. Really? Yeah. So they don't have that giggling anymore that was in there. I don't necessarily remember giggling, but it uh, maybe I do. Well, I, if I don't it know. was depends when they changed it because yeah. this was only I didn't I don't have dates. I'm sorry, but if it was only a short period, you wouldn't have known yeah. because you were. Why they pull the giggling? Did you find out? Be, just because it was that part of that pirates chasing them. Oh, I see. Yeah, they didn't want happy pirates chasing them, or was it? The, it was the a one, girls giggling. Oh, so they I didn't think. want. Yeah, I don't, oh, so I their interest—the girls giggling are giggling while they're being chased. So basically, they were setting a bad tone by the girls getting yeah. chased by pirates, and then they were giggling. Yeah, but they're okay with uh, you can buy a woman or a bride well, in an auction. <laughs> so <laughs> well, there's some really fine lines being drawn here for sure. That was actually the very first scene that was worked on. And, and Xavier Atencio actually uh-huh. worked on all the um, script for the whole scene, for the whole ride, right? Yeah. And so the bride auction was actually the first scene that was worked on. Hmm. And it has never been changed. That's awesome that it's they kept it. It's always been the same. And what they wanted to make clear is that it was an auction, that you were actually buying a wife. And this wasn't just handing over women to pirates. You're actually buying a wife. I, I think know. the main distinction is, did they <laughs> willingly do this or did they willingly join the auction? Or well, the were they forced looks into okay it? with it, but the rest are kind of not too sure about it. <laughs> Fine lines for sure, but I don't want to see them change it. I'd like to see them keep that forever. Yeah, it's, they've, they've kept that since it's opened. They did make sure there was a big banner. And multiple banners saying it was an auction to buy a bride. That's right. I can see the auction. And, and that the, the guys were not taking advantage of the women. They were actually buying a bride. So they're okay with <laughs> semi-prostitution, if that's what you want to call it. They were buying the bride. They were keeping the women. Let's go for Kinda. it. Wait, way to gloss over that, Disney. <laughs> but we're on board with you. We're okay with it. Well, it was the first thing presented to Walt. Brought this. To How Walt. dare you? Are you accusing Walt Disney of okaying well, buying wait. brides? Ignacio brought this to Walt. This idea, this storyline for the scene of the ride. Walt was kind of like, mm, "Is this Disney okay? You know, uh, yeah. is this something we should?" He would be the one to know. I mean, he yeah. is Disney. Yeah. He'd say, "Wait a second. Wait, <laughs> who do so- I ask? Oh, I ask myself." He wasn't quite sure it would go over, but yeah. then with the signage and saying they're actually buying a bride, and they felt it was okay that it, that part would be but that, okay. You know, if that was more historical, I mean, there it is a ride and it is a place for families, so there is that. But sometimes you don't want to necessarily change history just right. to make it something that it wasn't because it's maybe more palatable in yeah. today's standards. Not that. I'm talking about history, not necessarily a ride where you want to take kids to necessarily. So maybe that's a whole nother concept. But, you know, changing history for the sake of doing it just because it's more palatable today is not an answer because it was still historical. Yeah. But that doesn't negate the fact that, yeah, this is a family friendly ride. And do you really want to be tackling such subjects with your kids? (laughs) Well, they wanted to make it the whole ride. Dad, when did you buy mom? (laughs) Where was the auction that you bought mom? (laughs) They wanted to portray the pirates as they're having fun. They're a bunch of fun-loving pirates. Uh huh. When I was a kid, I never really gave, you know, a little kid never gave no. any thought to it at all. It was just no. a fun, cool experience. 
And I didn't really read into any of it. That's you know, that's the same thing with all the animated movies and all the there's stuff put in there for adults. We notice it. You watch the animated movies and there's always stuff in there for yeah, the well, adults. That's a pretty risky yeah, joke. But the kids never yeah. they don't get it. And it's I think it's just because of that mature mind. You learn so much as you go get older that it just is it's a mature mind I mean, that yeah, catches so that stuff. It's when I so. started catching it, I was probably five. So before <laughs> five, because I had a really mature mind at yeah, the time. Yeah. Until then, I was it was going over my head. Uh-huh. I don't know if you remember in our bonus episode, we were talking about the word fire. Word for word. <laughs> we were talking about the fire and how the plea, or the fire department, they had to put in certain regulations uh-huh. in case there was a fire. Yeah. Well, two months after the ride opened, there was a fire. Wow. And the fire was actually in the burning buildings. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess there was reason for concern. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jeez. So it didn't do a whole lot of damage, but it did burn some clothes on a couple of the pirates and yeah. the people around. It burned, I think, a couple of the animatronic people, but it didn't do a whole lot of damage. Alice is her name. She did the clothing for everybody. She wanted to do originally, she wanted budget to allow her to have two sets of clothes for every animatronic. Uh-huh. Well, they said, no, we can't, we, it's out of our budget. So she went back to him and said, actually, the clothes are going to cost more money. They're going to be double in price. And that was so she can make double the clothes. So uh-huh. when this burnt down, they actually had extra ones. And the budget or the accounting people are going, well, when can you get new clothes? Yeah. And she goes, oh, I made an extra set. Wow. And I was like, what? She's a, a <laughs> costume designer genius to do yeah. that for sure. But to today, everybody has three sets of clothes because they get oil on them and different stuff wear out. And so they ever they all have three sets of clothes now. Oh, well, they learned their lesson. Yeah. So that's my ride facts for the day. Well, it's good because it meshes actually really well. I mean, probably said it, but this really, this whole Port Royal scene is a classic ode to the ride. Yeah. And everything that we're seeing here really harkens back to what's actually taking place in the ride that they pulled and, and actually made come to life. Yeah. Well, with that said, it's time for Really Bad Eggs. Do you agree? Yes, I do. Well, the devil's little action were really bad eggs. We got the hot show host. So this is our weekly segment where we discuss our favorite lines of the week, sometimes for the poetry of it and other times for the meaning, the symbolism or the implications it has for the movie. So what do you have for us, Heather? We know your ear, puppet. <laughs> I just like the way he says it. I think it's it's just kind of cute and... I guess you can't say pirates cute, but I don't. I just like it. You know, you're here, Poppy. Yeah, you already told me I'm allowed to call you Poppet, but not Strumpet. <laughs> so I don't have a lengthy explanation this week. Oh, that's like me last time. Yeah, exactly. I just like the the line, and I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. So, well, I that's a good one, and I think Poppet is one of those catchphrases that you actually remember from the movie oh yeah and so i know we were at one point trying to keep a list of catchphrases and we should probably really do that before it gets too out of hand like i said i'm going to start a wiki for our website that we can keep track of things that we talk about on the show just so we don't lose track of them and that would be good so i'll have to add a catchphrase thing but i chose something that 
you know, really has a you know deeper meaning this time. And I didn't go that route the last time. So I'm kind of shaking things up a bit. And there was a number of, of really cool lines that I wanted to, that I, there were potential candidates. There was, there wasn't necessarily a lot of, you know, dialogue in these minutes. It wasn't right. heavy dialogue, no. but there were a lot of good, like one liners and things. I chose also a line from Pentel and it was in minute 35 where he says, you've got something of ours and it calls to us. The gold calls to us. And then you have what's backed up or accentuated by Rigetti, who utters or maybe mumbles the gold. He kind of he kind of he kind of mumbles the gold. Yeah, he's kind of got a squeaky little voice. The gold. Yeah, it's almost like he's really excited. He's oh, just like he can't yeah. contain himself. He's like the gold, <laughs> the gold. So, I mean, the symbolism for me just ran so deep that I had to choose this, and this is one as well as being a sneaky plot point that I've been liking to throw that term around that. You know, we'll continue to see develop in upcoming minutes. The idea is really just one word: greed. Yeah. I mean, this has all the supernatural element we've discussed. You know, so it really ties into the movie well. By that, I mean the shockwave that literally sent them a message and caused the pirates to come to Port Royal. I mean, the wind shifted to bring them there, bring the pearl right to the harbor. And then, besides that literal translation of the gold calling to him that he says that it calls to us. Besides the physical calling that the gold does when it hits the waters I just mentioned, you know, there really is this metaphorical calling to the pirates. And so we see the symbolism of greed. It's like a two by four to the head. Pirates consumed by greed, that they're willing to do whatever it takes to get more treasure, including attacking Port Royal, killing innocent civilians. You know, it really is this literal gold calling to them, you know, because it is a supernatural thing. And then there's the metaphorical gold calling to them that's like they're so greedy they got to have more treasure and they got to go do that i guess this idea is the power of gold is really unparalleled and when i was looking up gold and just trying to see what some of the symbolism was i found a book that was titled the power of gold which was by peter bernstein and it tells the story of how people have become intoxicated obsessed haunted humbled exalted over pieces of metal called gold wow and Gold has motivated entire societies. So the the kind of the preface of this book is that gold has motivated entire societies, torn economies to shreds, determined the fate of kings and emperors, inspired the most beautiful works of art, provoked horrible acts by one person against another, driven men to endure intense hardship in the hope of finding instant wealth and annihilating uncertainty. Well, that's so, why people came to the West. Exactly. So it really is, I think, a powerful statement about what the plot is developing into with gold. So the, like I said, I really just love the whole, the gold calls to us literally and metaphorically here. Then I found while looking at it as well on his first voyage to America, Columbus observed, and this was a quote, Oh, most excellent gold, huh? which is kind of an interesting thing. He's coming yeah. out here. They're looking for gold. That's, you know, yeah. f- trying to do some of that and, and find new trade routes and all that kind of good stuff and just ways across things. And then gold, most excellent gold. So even as kids were exposed to the power of gold, and I remember an old Looney Tunes cartoon, or <laughs> maybe it was one of their movies, one of the specials that they had, but you can see like how these things kind of come back to Bugs Bunny around here for some reason. I mean, Jack Sparrow really is the Bugs Bunny character, but in Looney Tunes in general, but I believe it was like Daffy Duck who gets gold fever. Yes, you're there right. There is something about yeah. that, and I, couldn't, and I sh- probably should have looked into it, but I didn't. But I remember distinctly this kind of gold fever concept, and I'm pretty sure it was the subject actually of a few cartoons. So it's not well, something that, you know, is not unfamiliar to kids even. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. 
Oh yeah, so you have, we're in gold. Yeah, what's his name? Klondike or no Klondike? <laughs> Klondike. Boy, Are I really want an ice cream. Yeah, could use an ice cream right now. What is it? Cornelius? Cornelius. Yeah, Yukon Cornelius. Yeah. That is. Or he actually cool. licks his. I don't know what that thing's called. He Spike. licks his uh, pick. His pick. pick yeah, axe. his pick. Boy, if it was that easy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so that's all I have for my really bad egg segment. Well, that's. Pretty good yeah. insight into that. Do you have anything else? No, I'm good for the day. All right. I or think the week, I should say. Yeah, it's for the week. So I think we leave on a week note of oh, most excellent gold. No, oh, that's good. We'll be back on Monday with Minute 38 of The Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Don't forget, wander on over to our Facebook page. And yeah, while you're there, give us a like. Please, I don't want to beg. <laughs> or go to blackpearlminute.com for additional details on our listener contest. Remember, it's a simple, just leave a review on iTunes. That's all we ask. Something short and sweet. And shoot us an email right afterwards that you submitted it. And shoot us an email right after you submit the review with your username. So we have a heads up and have a connection of who the user is with a contact email in case you win. It really is that simple. Don't expect that the review will be posted right away. You won't see it. It'll just kind of disappear into the ether because iTunes does moderate those comments. So thanks for doing that. We have some great prizes that are in the packages, and so go check them out. And I think we just wrap it up and say, until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Thanks for joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. If you like the show, then leave us a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, matey. You can contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. Visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on facebook.com slash pirates of the Caribbean minute, twitter.com slash blackpearlmen, and on soundcloud.com slash pirates of the Caribbean, where we post additional content, have episode discussions, and share our favorite show clips. Now see you next time, scallywags. <laughs>